Hello and welcome to Ashurst's Business Agenda. My name is Richard Vernon and I'm a real estate partner at Ashurst in London. Today's placemaking conversation is part of Ashurst's Reimagining Real Estate campaign. And those operating in the development world often talk about placemaking, but I'd like to unravel some of the mystery that surrounds placemaking. What do we mean by placemaking in practice? How do we know if we've achieved it? And why is it important? I have great pleasure in being joined today by David Lockyer. David is head of campuses at British Land and for the last 12 years at British Land has been integral in driving forward British Land's purpose to create great places that people prefer. Welcome, David. Hi. So David, you know, the magic words placemaking um, and, you know, many sell themselves as having placemaking at the heart of, you know, what they do and their development strategy. But, you know, as a, as a couple of words, there's a bit of mystery there. And what I'd like to do to sort of ask the question from your perspective is how long has placemaking been a thing in the development world? And, you know, has its importance or focus changed more recently? You know, what, what's your thinking? Sure. Um I guess as a, as a as a thing, placemaking's been around for forever. I mean, you know, public squares where people came together for various reasons, whether it be to, I guess, you know, trade goods or arenas for various types, you know, whatever that might be, sporting or religious or or whatever. So, so I guess placemaking around the world has been around forever. Yeah. But I guess to your question, when did it emerge as a as a thing? Uh, I guess, you know, it's probably in the 1960s. So it's been around for a while. And that was really when I guess, you know, there was an increased focus on how an individual experienced the built environment uh, and more of a sort of a human scale perspective taken into account to inform, you know, good urban design. But probably now, you know, the last 10, 20 years, it's probably a term that slipped into common language of every developer in every scheme. And I think, you know, you alluded to that. Um, and as such, it's probably overused. Um, it's, I guess, adopted as this, this, this catch-all term that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, and as a result, I guess its outcome can vary hugely as a result. And I guess, you know, we might come to that in a, in a, in a moment, I guess. So, I mean, yeah, well, well, let's let's talk about that. I mean, outcomes um, and what it really means in practice, I suppose, is at the hub of this, because, you know, I think I think from my perspective, it'd be really helpful to understand placemaking by asking you to, if I could pick a British land scheme, you know, a scheme that's been delivered, but using British land sort of strategy, you know, delivered an outstanding place, which is clearly what, you're, you know, you're driving and, you know, having having identified that, you know, how does British land measure? How do you measure the result in benefit both to British land and others? How do you how do you say to yourself, yes, I've done it? Yeah, fine. And I mean, I guess, you know, the, the, the example I'm going to um, pick is 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 what we're doing at Broadgate. And I would say, you know, I don't think we've created an outstanding place yet at Broadgate. And for those of you who don't know Broadgate, it's a 32 acre office-led central London campus, um, and it's still work in progress. But I'm really pleased with the transformation we've begun to make 
there over the last um, few years. Um, and, you know, when it was built, it was a really iconic development when it was constructed in the mid 80s. Uh, and it really adopted the principles of placemaking at the time, um, you know, in terms of its architecture and in particular on its focus on the public spaces between the buildings. And I think, you know, look, it was ahead of its time um, in, in that regard. But over time, you know, the needs of those businesses that occupied the buildings and crucially, you know, the needs of the employees, the people had changed. And that brings me back to that point around human scale perspective um, that, I made, that I made a moment ago. So really, it's been about thinking how we could reinvent Broadgate um, to capitalize on the assets that we already have. Um, and as a result, create these deeper sort of social or personal connections and a clearer identity. So in 2016, we adopted a vision, uh, which importantly, I think, you know, we saw more of as a philosophy rather than a process. And underpinning that vision, we had these four placemaking principles. Uh, we, we, you know, we, turn, we turned them the four C's. It was about create, connect, curate and custodianship. And that really helped us translate our vision into a plan and turn that shared vision into a reality. And it took quite a long time. You know, we talked to a lot of people and we really listened because we wanted Broadgate to be this inclusive, dynamic place which fostered collaboration. You know, constructing a building or de just designing a piece of public realm is not placemaking. Um, so to date, what have we done? You know, through a mix of meanwhile uses, uh, 20,000 square feet of space we donated to a theater group for a world first rehearsal space. You know, that's definitely a big change to the financial services industries of Broadgate that you'd have found there a few years ago. But it was really around the opening up of ground floors to accommodate different types of uses in terms of leisure and retail and F&B, which was really key because, you know, previously the financial services businesses who'd occupied these buildings had not wanted to share the buildings with other people. And so you had lots of blank facades and lots of inward looking impenetrable buildings. And I mean, you know, you, you know this, Richard, you know, Ashurst were, were at Broadgate for a number of years and, and you know, you'd have experienced this and your, and your staff would have experienced this. But picking picking up on on delivering that, you know, a question that I, I always ask myself is in terms of creating that place. You know, ultimately, um, there are development costs that come into all all aspects of these schemes. But you know, taking a step back, does making that place, you know, does delivering that outstanding place cost more to deliver, and uh, than than otherwise? And also on the other side of the appraisal, does it is it going to create financial value? You know, you've got that balancing act there between that drive to deliver an outstanding place, but ultimately does it work from an appraisal, you know, from a profit perspective? Sure. And of course, yeah, you know, <laughs> it, 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 does, it does cost more to deliver outstanding places. And it's always tempting to um, cut corners or, or not do it properly. Um, and just, you know, I think we can all think of places um, where it looks fine on a piece of paper and design, but when you get there, it really fails to live up to the uh, up to up to up to the promise, and you know, at British land, our purpose, our overarching purpose, is to create places people prefer, 
and I guess, you know, coming back to your question, how do we know whether we've achieved that? Well, it's a fairly blunt metric, but, um, and, and a bit explicit, but, you know, one of those is how well do we lease our space? You know, businesses choose to take space in our buildings, not just because of great transport links or the quality of the buildings themselves, but also because of the environment around them, um, you know, because that's important for their employees, you know, whether it be health, happiness, productivity, you know, attraction and retention of staff, you know, creating these engaging, safe, dynamic environments are really key. And so, you know, leasing success is, is a fundamental um, point for us. And yeah, that comes through on the appraisals. But there are other factors, there are other measures that we take into account. You know, how well do we score in our customer satisfaction surveys? We ask people what they think. We, would they recommend Broadgate as a place to come, work, and, you know, and, and spend time? You know, we monitor on a daily basis what's looking at what's happening in our footfall. You know, how are the restaurants and bars performing? And, and then also, you know, I think, and it'd be good to sort of expand on this as well, is that we, we, we talk about, we, we look about what difference have we made to the communities uh, in which our places are located? You know, are we truly inclusive? Have we created spaces that bring people together? So going back to your point around, you know, t- taking a design on a piece of paper and a slightly tongue in cheek question, but, you know, again, looking at that again in terms of that design, you know, how, how is placemaking more than just a nice design? You know, what, what's, again, trying to target that place and, and, and what people prefer? How do you take a design on a piece of paper and bring it to life? And I think it is this point around it, it, it's a philosophy, not a process. Um, and it's to, to me, placemaking has to be something that's inspirational. You know, it's got a really strength and connections. It's, always, it's, a, it's more than just the physical design aspects. You know, it focuses on the cultural aspects of a place. It focuses on the social elements and, it, and, and of what defines a really great and sustainable place. And, you know, an example of, of what we're doing at Broadgate, you know, more generally is, is how we've opened up the spaces, how we've, you know, taken down some of these, I guess, physical barriers around Broadgate to really knit it back into its urban fabric around the neighborhood around it. You know, as I said, you know, open up the, the, the bars and restaurants. And we've done that sometimes, you know, maybe not to the highest rent payers uh, because we've seen that the additive effects that those uses bring to the space as a whole really start to make it become a, become this, socially inclusive and welcoming place that the, the you know the sum of the parts you know is 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 really important for us you, you mentioned their sustainability and and of course you know over recent years and right now and 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 it's it's inescapable that it has to be on the agenda because you know health and well-being esg you know is top of everyone's agenda it's what everyone's talking about and i suppose a question there is you know, you, I think from what you're saying, placemaking really has evolved to meet those challenges. Um, you know, do you think there's more it can do? Can, can we can we do more to our places to support those agendas in terms of sustainability and our, and our people? Look, I guess, you know, the focus on healthier lives has only strengthened in the last couple of years. Um, you know, and to lead those healthier lives, uh, you know, we need environments that can make that possible. Uh, and so what does that mean? That means, you know, clean air, contact with nature, uh, more social interaction, regular exercise and 
you know, places that are safe and a sense of calm and tranquility. So I think there's much more focus on walkable cities, um, on non-motorized forms of transport, on car-free spaces, you know, places which are safe for people to gather, um, and of course, greener spaces. Um, you know, I, we're not going to pretend, I think, that the green space that we've introduced at Broadgate, and you know, one of the places that we've done, we've introduced a new one and a half acre park uh, at, at Broadgate, um, you know, increased the, increased the green space four times. I'm, I'm not sure that's necessarily going to have a huge impact, you know, in itself, um, in, in terms of sort of sustainability. But it's just the reduction in stress and increased well-being that comes from these green spaces and from adding nature. Um, that's that, that, that's going to be really important and a fundamental part of placemaking. And, and, and this point about sort of ESG, I mean, I think the S of, of ESG is, is really important in terms of placemaking, in terms of social benefits. At British Land, we have what we call a place-based approach, um, and that is integral to our, to our placemaking, you know, and our social sustainability strategy, um, because it's really about thinking about how all of the stakeholders can link together collaborate to make the place and the space the most successful, inclusive and impactful that it can be. You, you mentioned the, the the last couple of years and, and obviously the, 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 the concentration on, on health and well-being for obvious reasons over the last couple of years. Um, I mean, one impact, I think, from the last two years of sort of enforced working from home is that it's almost accelerated what I think was going to happen but we've had a proof of concept for two years because it's it has happened because we've had no choice and of course that has changed attitudes potentially forever about you know we've talked about the expression work life balance for many many years but all of a sudden it sort of dumped on us from up from on high without without expectations as to what it means so i think you know the attitudes about being in the office full-time or not or part-time working and all of those things have come to the fore or what you predict is going to be the main challenges for delivering those places in the future? You know, what, what do you think because of what's changed? What happens next? What do we need to think about moving forward? What, how has it changed the dial in terms of what you're delivering? Uh, I mean, there's a couple of questions that, that, that you know, I keep and we keep in mind um, as, as we're thinking about our placemaking approach um, and, and, you know, and our, and our and our approach to our portfolio generally. And I think you're absolutely right, Richard, you know, the last two years have seen huge disruption and some of that disruption is here to stay, you know, and that will impact, impact you know, placemaking, it'll impact communities and it impacts the built environment. Um, and I guess a couple of the things which are, which are, you know, you touched on it fundamentally, you know, what's gonna be the response from employers and employees to shifting working patterns? You know, cause some of that's gonna impact placemaking. What needs do people have from their environment, you know, if and when they do come into the office and, you know, will people actually want to go there? What reasons do they go there for? And how do you improve that experience and enjoyment and their productivity? You know, these are shifting patterns and I don't sure anyone's completely worked them out yet. I mean, I know, you know, British Landers are, as, a, as our own organization, haven't figured out, figured that out yet. And I don't know if Ashurst have, but, you know. No, no, we haven't. It's still a work in progress. Yeah. yeah, I think it is for most people that we talk to, most businesses we talk to, but it is going to change. And, you know, and that has consequences about how we think about placemaking. And if we truly think about it as being about inclusivity and collaboration, you know, and, and what these what it means when you come into into the center of a city uh, to collaborate and work together. I think the um, it's interesting that, that as a business and same as you say there, Ashurst is 
thinking about reasons, creating reasons for people to come into the office. But that's that's the bricks and mortar of the building in which those people are working. But again, from what you're saying, it's not just the bricks and mortar building. It's all the spaces in between and how, you know, you can create a reason for people to come into the city, not just because of the building, but everything around it. Yeah. I mean, what we're seeing, interestingly enough, is that, you know, when people are in, they want to spend time, to, when people do come into the office to get, you know, they want to spend time together, you know, and they want to spend time in the evenings together, they want places to go. We're, we're actually seeing, you know, for instance, the bars and restaurants um, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays are absolutely rammed full of people because they come in together, they spend more money together. And actually, you know, funnily enough, you know, it, 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 this, this over the three days, um, you know, they're, they're, they're trading as well as they maybe did over seven days or six days beforehand. Um, so, so we're really starting to see that um, um, come through. But I think, you know, as I was touching on, I think, you know, these trends about compelling reasons to go somewhere, um, uh, you know, are something that, that, that's been there for retail for a while as well, because we own a lot of retail places. I think, you know, probably, you know, coming back to this point about this link up with sustainability and, and car free areas, you know, I think pedestrianisation is a key part of how we maybe do that in London uh, to make places a more enjoyable place and a more compelling reason to go places. And then I just think there's there's a final bit that sort of overlays both of those bits, which is just, you know, as a population, um, you know, we're an aging population uh, and there's a need for more inclusivity. We've seen that over the last few years as well in, in alongside the pandemic. There's been a lot of, you know, feeling about, you know, our place is truly inclusive. We're, we're getting older as a population. You know, people are living longer and they're working longer. And what does that mean for placemaking? You know, how do we create age friendly cities and communities and and dial up that concept of belonging even further. You know, age is just one lens that we look through things like that at, but it's the philosophy of feeling that communities around our places don't feel excluded uh, or places aren't for them. You know, and that's fundamental. If placemaking is going to be successful, inclusivity is really important. Yes, it's fascinating, isn't it? Just over the last few minutes of this conversation, it just shows, isn't it, that how, how that shift is, you can start talking about design and buildings, but it's about the people. And it, it, throughout the, the theme that runs throughout all of this discussion about placemaking is people. And I guess, could I, if I could come back to, you know, again, another expression that's thrown around the sort of socioeconomic benefit uh, badge that, that again, people talk about, they deliver something and then here is the socioeconomic benefit. Again, it's a slight mystery to me as, again, measuring. It's another one of those outputs that, possibly you feel you've achieved but from from British land's perspective again it'd be really interesting again to sort of look at a scheme and say you know how, how have you delivered socio-economic benefit and more importantly how have you you know delivered that because I know again British land creating deep connections and occupiers and communities and we've seen that as a, as a tenant in Broadgate but you know what have you seen delivered in practice that really exemplifies that that benefit to, to the environment of the people around you? One thing is we've got a lot, we've got a, we've got a huge body of evidence, I guess, because British land has, you know, invested in a number of its places for a, a long period of time. You know, we've got a, we've got a campus um, up by Regent's Park um, uh, near Euston Station. Uh, you know, we've owned that for 40 years. Um, so over that time, we built really incredibly strong connections with the communities in which those 
in which Regent's Place sits. And, and you know, and the same with Broadgate and more recently, you know, uh, we, you know, what we're doing here down at Canada Water as well. You know, these places are not islands. They're part of an ecosystem and they're part of an urban neighborhood. Um, and, and as I alluded to earlier, you know, it's what, what's a really important, what you, you mentioned it, it's, it's not just the built environment. It's not just constructing a building or the designing of a place. It is about, you know, how you overlay the, the, you know, the, the, the community and the people element to it. A couple of examples, you know, we set up a Regents Place Community Fund a number of years ago in connection, in, in, well, in conjunction with, um, with our tenants, with our customers. You know, we come together with them, where with the local community, we've issued over 200,000 pounds awarded in grants over the last couple of years. We've now replicated that at Broadgate and at Paddington. You know, it creates a really strong connection between the employees, the people who work at these places and the communities around their offices. At Broadgate, we've raised 150,000 pounds this year through that, through that. And, you know, we're now working with customers to award grants to local initiatives. Um, and that sense of belonging, that sense of purpose is really important, really, really powerful. So that's one, that's one example. Um, but then, you know, it's, a, it's around creating networks it's created around diversity inclusion network at Paddington that we have. 70% of our customers are, are members of that network. And it's, it's a way of connecting our customers, our businesses, into the communities uh, in, which, in, which, in which their businesses are located. Because if we come back to it again, you know, there's inclusivity, this sense of belonging, this sense of that places aren't just for you know, people who work there. Um, they're, they're, for the, they're, they're part of the communities in which they're located. And, you know, we're really proud of the work that we've done on that. We're really proud of the employment opportunities that we've created. We've done a huge amount of Broadgate over the years with uh, Broadgate Connect and with the East London Business Alliance in terms of creating jobs and apprenticeships for people in the local community, in the places, in, uh, you know, as part of our placemaking. Because I, I genuinely think this is part of placemaking as well. Well, thank you so much, David, for taking time out to talk to me today. Uh, some fantastic insights into what can be achieved and how development is not just about bricks and mortar, but about people and the uh, direct positive social impact development can have. So thanks very much for your time. No, thank you, Richard. Uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this topic, please do get in touch with us. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your usual podcast platform to make sure you don't miss future episodes. And while you're there, please feel free to keep this conversation going and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks again for listening and goodbye for now. If you enjoy Ashurst Business Agenda, why not check out our other two podcast series as well? Ashurst Legal Outlook explains the emerging legal trends and requirements of our fast-changing world. And ESG Matters at Ashurst reveals how business leaders are rising to mounting environmental, social and governance challenges. You can listen and subscribe to Legal Outlook and ESG Matters wherever you get your podcasts.